Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John at this time. We're going to be starting today in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, you know, last week we began our new sermon series on biblical foundations. And we talked about the fact that although there are many teachings in Scripture, right? The Bible's a big book. Many teachings in Scripture that there are seven areas of teaching in the Bible. Seven areas that are so important so fundamental that we can truly call them foundational teachings. And together, these seven teachings form really the core beliefs of Christianity. Uh, They are those underlying truths which help us to define the essentials of the Christian faith for all believers in all times and in all places. We talked about the fact that these seven areas of teaching are so important uh, that we adopted them uh, as our church statement of faith. And uh, once again, these seven areas of teaching are as follows. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Uh, We're going to be looking at the Bible, God, Jesus, salvation, the Holy Spirit, the resurrection, and the church. Seven foundational areas of teaching. So last week we began by looking at the first biblical foundation, which is the Bible, right? And we started with the Bible because we saw that the Bible is a fully reliable guide for all that we do, all that we believe. And so now we see what does the Bible teach us about each of these areas of belief. And uh, this morning we are going to look and see what does the Bible tell us about God? Can't get much more basic than that, right? What does the Bible tell us about God. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we look at these verses and and others throughout uh, throughout the scriptures this morning, as we uh, look at this second biblical foundation, Lord, uh, as we look at you as, as revealed to us in the scriptures, speak to us. Uh, about yourself, uh, draw us to follow you and know you and and worship you more uh, more closely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So how many of you have ever heard a sermon about God before? I know that sounds strange, doesn't it? Like, well, every sermon's about God, right? And yeah, in a sense, every sermon is, but have you ever heard a sermon specifically just on God? Because that's what today's message is all about. Today is a sermon on nothing else, just on God. Now, of course, one single message can never capture uh, all that we can say about God, God is infinite. God is, God is awesome. We can never capture all of God in a single message. In fact, all of the biblical sermons that have ever been preached are all about God, and yet you put all of them together, and you know what? They, together they barely even scratch the surface of who God is. 
Some people say that God is a mystery. That God is so huge, he's so vast, that we could never possibly know him with our finite human minds. And that is true if you're talking about knowing God completely. Knowing God exhaustively. Knowing everything there is to know about God. In that sense, yes, God is indeed a mystery. We can never know him completely. But as the writer Francis Schaeffer loved to say, he said, just because we do not know something exhaustively, that does not mean we cannot know it truly. For example, I do not have an exhaustive knowledge of mathematics, okay? I only got so far. I don't have a complete knowledge of mathematics. I know that two and two is four, right? I hope you know that one too, right? You don't have to know everything just to know something. Or take people for an example. I know my wife Rosie really well, okay? Rosie knows me better than anyone else on the planet. We truly know each other. And yet even so, we don't know each other completely. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Real brief statement, but a lot packed in there. So we're going to break the statement down now. And we're going to see what does the Bible say about each part of this statement. First of all, our statement of faith says, we believe there is one God. We believe there's one God. This is what we call monotheism, right? That's a big fancy word, which means believing in one God. Monotheism stands in direct contrast to atheism, which is belief in no God. It also stands in direct contrast to polytheism, which is belief in many gods. We believe in one God rather than no gods or many gods. You know, throughout history, most pagan cultures have been polytheistic. They believed in many gods. And usually these many gods were tied to nature, right? You know, you might have a god of the wind and a god of the sky and a god of the trees and a god of the water. And and then sometimes people just skip the god and they just go right to to worshiping the, the objects in nature themselves. They would worship the sun and the moon and the stars. That's polytheism. Atheism, that's a more recent phenomenon. You don't have a lot of atheists uh, in the early days of human history, but with the advance of science and technology and, and a greater understanding of how the universe works, for some reason, some people choose not to believe in God at all. And I, I don't get that at all, because I love science. I, I read science all the time. I read science books. I read articles on science. I love it. And the more I read and the more I hear about, read about our world and, and how it's put together and, and just the balance and the fine-tuning of the universe, the more I just go, God is great. You know, the more I see God in our universe. I don't know why that would cause someone not to believe in God instead of to believe in him. And although the number of atheists has grown over the past century, atheism is still a very small minority in society. You can check poll after poll after poll. Most people still believe in God. And so the first part of our statement of faith affirms that we believe in one God. And folks, that's probably the most basic knowledge you can have about God, right? That he exists, as opposed to atheism, right? And that he is one God as opposed to polytheism. So what does the Bible say about all of this? 
or uh, perhaps a better way to put that, what does God say about himself in the Bible? Does God reveal himself in the Bible as one God? He better, right? Because that's our statement of faith. Our statement of faith is based on the Bible. It's based on what God tells us. And to answer that question, we're going to turn, first of all, to a very famous passage uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. The Israelites uh, considered Deuteronomy 6.4 the most important verse in the whole Old Testament. They called it the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Shema also happens to be the first word in the verse. You can even see it in English. Hear is the first word in the verse. Let me read the verse to you. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, there's that word Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this one verse defined Israel's faith more than any other verse in the Bible. With this one verse, they were proclaiming, God exists, and he is one God. And you've got to understand that Israel's belief in a single God, this was radical for their time, right? This was in total opposition to the surrounding nations who all worshipped many gods. And this one verse of scripture has done more to dispel the belief in many gods around the world and throughout history than any other verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's Old Testament. The the New Testament also affirms that there is one God rather than no gods or many gods. For example, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, for there is one God, there it is. One God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And and those are only two verses from the Bible, one from the old, one from the new. You can read from beginning to end. There are so many verses, verse after verse uh, in the Old and New Testament that all confirm this truth again and again. God exists and he is one God. Now, there are many false gods Okay, many false gods, but because God is one, he alone is the one true God. Only he is the true God. In John 17, 3, Jesus addresses God the Father as the only true God. The only true God. John chapter 4, verse 24, uh, Jesus speaking about this one true God, he says this. He says, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. There's that word truth again, but this word spirit's important also. God is spirit. God does not have a physical body. The being of God contains no physical matter. He's not only a spirit, he is an infinite spirit. God is not limited by space or time, both of which are dimensions of the created physical universe. And this really, this is uh, one of the many problems with idol worship and nature worship. Because idols and objects of nature are what? They are physical in nature. They are part of creation. They are part of the created order. Therefore, they are not God. Our God is the living God. That's what Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians. He reminds him, he says, you turned from idols to worship the living and true God. Idols which are dead, not alive, and false to God who is living and true. 
Or you look at Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah contrasts the living and the true God with the false idols. He says the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. So idols are not alive. And and even if you're worshiping something that's living in, in nature, you're not worshiping the one true and living God. So that's the first part of our statement of faith on God. As basic as you can get. We believe in one God. Now, a lot of what we've just said uh, this morning, a lot of what we've just said about God is also affirmed by other major world religions. For example, Judaism and in Islam, they also believe in one God. But when we come to the next point in our statement of faith, we come to a uniquely Christian teaching. Because the next part of our statement of faith says this, we believe there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Only Christianity, you can look at all of the other religions in the world, only Christianity teaches that the one true God eternally exists in three persons. Now, the word we use for this, I'm sure you've heard it before, is the Trinity. The Trinity. And, you know, people sometimes wonder about that word. They go, where do you find that word in the Bible? You don't find it in the Bible. It's not a word that God uses to describe himself. God describes himself as one God, and yet also as three persons within the Godhead. And and that's spread out throughout the scriptures. And, And so we've come up with this word Trinity sort of as a shorthand to try to capture all those things that God says about himself in this respect. In the Trinity, it's a head scratcher, isn't it? It's difficult to understand. It's part of the mystery of who God is. When we first hear about it, well, that seems to contradict itself. How how does that even work? How can one being be three persons? How can three persons be one being? And it may be difficult to understand, but the doctrine of the Trinity is crucial. It is foundational to Christianity. The one true and living God has revealed himself to us as three in one. And therefore, if we do not worship God as three persons in one, then we do not worship God in truth. We're not worshiping in truth. As we said earlier, this doctrine is unique to Christian teaching. Jews and Muslims do not believe in the Trinity. Offshoot groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do not believe in the Trinity. The Unitarian Church, as you can see from their name, does not believe in the Trinity. Their very name says we believe in one God, one person, not one God, three. So how do we as Christians arrive at this Trinitarian understanding of God from the Bible? Once again, the Bible is our foundation. What does the Bible teach us concerning this aspect of who God is? Well, we've already crossed the first the first border, right? We've seen that the Bible teaches there's only one God. We've got that down, right? But the Bible also teaches us that there are three persons who are God. Three persons who are called God. You've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they are indeed three separate persons, okay? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. 
They are three separate, distinct persons, and yet the Bible clearly teaches all three are God, and yet, as we've just seen, God is one. Only one God. Now, we already looked at a number of passages which clearly present God the Father is God. That's the easy one for people. Okay, God the Father is God. I get that. But the Bible also clearly presents Jesus as God. We looked at John chapter 1 a little bit earlier. Let's go back to the first two verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John is speaking here about Jesus. You could even put Jesus' name into that, that verse. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Or Paul, the apostle in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes that Jesus is in very nature, God. This is a Christian teaching. Jesus is God. Hebrews 1.3, we read that the Son, that's Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2.9 says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All that is God lives in Christ in bodily form. Jesus himself claimed to be God. Jesus accepted worship as God. Now, that's different from the angels. Anytime someone tries to bow down and worship an angel, they say, get up, don't worship me, I'm not God. But when people bow down to worship Jesus, bring it on. (laughs) He accepts that because... He is God. And then the Bible also clearly presents the Holy Spirit as God. Just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is involved in the act of creation. Just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is given divine names. He's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord. Very important passage, the book of Acts. Peter confronts this man, Ananias. He says, he says to Ananias, first of all, he says, you just lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in the same breath, he says, you've not lied to men, but to God. In other words, Holy Spirit is God. And so the Bible clearly teaches, yeah, there's only one God, and yet consistently reveals the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as all being God. Now, even though we do not find the actual word Trinity in the Bible, you, you, you do find places where all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned together. It's really cool. I think of Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Jesus commissions his followers and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Notice he doesn't say in the names of. Usually, if you're doing three, three persons, you, use, you, you would say names, right? You wouldn't just say one name. But name is singular there. One God, yet three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13. Uh, we find all three persons of the Godhead mentioned together uh, in Paul's benediction, last verse uh, of the book. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2, Peter speaks of all three persons of the Godhead working together to save us, working together for our salvation. Peter says, I'm writing to those of you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So one God in three persons. This is who God is. Even more importantly, this is who God has always been. Right? That's what our statement of faith says. We're drawing it from the Scriptures. Who is eternally existent in three persons. That means there was never a time when you just had God the Father. Never a time. Go back in eternity as far as you like. Never a time you just have God the Father. You know, and then sometime later, along comes Jesus and then comes the Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't work that way. We looked at John 1 already, which says, Jesus was with God when? In the beginning. Jesus was God when? In the beginning. The book of Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. God has always been three persons. Remember, God is perfect. And therefore, he does not change or evolve. Have you ever thought about that? If you're a perfect being, God's perfect. If God changed, then he's either going to change for the better or for the worse. Well, if he changed for the better, then he wasn't perfect. (laughs) If he changes for the worse, he's no longer God. (laughs) So God's perfect, so he does not change. He does not get better or worse. He simply is. And so God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God eternally existent in three persons. So quiz time. So do you understand the Trinity now? No. <laughs> of course not, because it's part of the mystery of who God is. It's beyond our understanding. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, uh, made the observation. He said, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity, he said, it must come from God. Because no human being could ever have invented such a difficult teaching. We wouldn't invent a teaching that we don't understand. Had to come from God. The Trinity is not a formula to analyze or dissect. Rather, it is part of the mystery of God's being. We are not meant to understand the Trinity so much as to worship the triune God who has revealed himself to us as one God in three persons. I like what one person said about the Trinity, about this doctrine. They said, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. But try to deny it and you will lose your soul. We cannot know the truth of the Trinity completely, exhaustively. But we can know it truly. We believe there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then for our third point, I want us to focus on that word, God in persons. God in persons. We believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons. Because in closing, we should note that The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God and equally personal. Equally God and equally personal. First of all, all three persons of the Trinity are equally God. That means that God the Father is not somehow more God than God the Son. And God the Son is not somehow more God than God the Spirit. 
Think about it. If any member of the Trinity were more God than another member, then those other members would no longer be God. They wouldn't be God. You can't be less God and then still be God at the same time. Now, although the the Bible tells us that all three persons of the Godhead are equally God, the Bible does also teach us that each each person of the Trinity, they have distinctive roles or functions in the Godhead. This is important. To understand that. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't send the Son. God the Father sends the Son. God the Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus the Son died on the cross. The Holy Spirit lives in us and convicts us of sin and assures us that we are children of God. That's part of His role. And this understanding that there are various roles in the Trinity helps to explain some of the statements that could be confusing to us otherwise. For example, I think when Jesus made the statement, He said, the Father is greater than I. And if you just heard that, you might think, well, I guess the Father is more God than Jesus. But no, it can't mean that. They're equally God. Jesus was not saying God the Father was more God than he was. Jesus was simply saying this. As the Son of God, he had willingly taken on flesh. He had willingly submitted himself to God the Father out of love for God and love for us. Jesus is God every much as God the Father is God. The difference between the Father and the Son and all the members of the Trinity is simply a difference of position, role, and function rather than a difference in nature, essence, or being. All three members of the Trinity are equally God, and then finally they are also equally personal. That should be obvious, right? Because they're all dum da da dum da dum persons, right? Each one God, eternal existence of three persons. So, of course, they're personal. But this biblical teaching that God is personal is so important because this stands uh, in direct contrast with the concept of God in so many of the Eastern religions. You know, the Eastern religions, uh, such as Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, teach that God is impersonal. Impersonal. Think of the movie Star Wars and the Force, right? You know, know, the Force is not personal. It has no will of its own. It's just an impersonal... I know we're just talking a movie here, okay? But it's an illustration. It's just an impersonal force that permeates the universe, and people can use it for good or for evil. They can manipulate it. That's not God. God is not an impersonal force. He is a person. Better yet, he is Three persons. How great is our God, right? Now, what are some of the aspects of God's personality that are revealed to us in Scripture? Well, first of all, God has a name. God has a name. God revealed his name to Moses in Exodus 3.14. You can look it up later. God thinks, feels, and acts. These are all basic elements of personality. God relates to us as Uh, personally, as human beings. He talks with us. He communicates with us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, the whole reason you are personal is because God is personal. The whole reason you're a person is because God is a person. This is one of the most precious truths of Christianity, that you can have a personal relationship with God, your creator. That's what God created you for. You ever wonder, say, what am I doing here? What am I here for? What's it all about? God created you so that you could know him. You know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, people who are in love and all, they say, we were made for each other. 
That's a great thing, right? The Bible says that you were made for God. You were made to know him and to love him in a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. He is a personal God, and because he is personal, all three members of the Trinity are personal. Now, that's more obvious for us with the Father and the Son, because we're used to thinking of fathers as persons. We're used to thinking of sons as persons. But some people get tripped up on the Holy Spirit here. They go, well, I I get this question a lot. They say, well, the Holy Spirit, I I know God the Father is a person, and and Jesus is a person, but the Holy Spirit, is he a person, or or is is he more more like a force? And once again, the Bible clearly teaches us the Holy Spirit is a person. For one thing, he is always referred to uh, as he in the Bible, never referred to as it. He's called the counselor and the comforter. Those are both personal actions. Have you ever been counseled or comforted by a rock? Of course not. There's no personality there. It takes a person to counsel and comfort. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, catch this list now, the Holy Spirit feels thinks, acts, desires, teaches, bears witness, prays, intercedes, speaks, and is grieved by our sin. Those are all elements of personality. All three members of the Trinity are equally God, equally personal. So we've covered a lot of ground this morning. That's, that's a lot about God. Someone said after the first service, they said that was a lot of information. But you know what? We're still just scratching the surface when it comes to knowing everything there is to know about God. We can never know all there is to know about God. The Bible tells us that even the Spirit of God himself explores the deep things of God. That's how huge and vast our God is. We cannot know God completely. We cannot know him exhaustively, but we can know him truly, for he has revealed himself to us truly in his word. We believe there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is an awesome God. Let us go to him now in worship and in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. Without your word, we would not know these things about you. We would know some things about you, Lord. We, we can tell from uh, creation around us that there's a creator. And so we would know that there is a God. And, and Lord, you've put a conscience in our hearts. And so we know right from wrong. We would know that we've broken moral laws and that we are somehow accountable to you. But Lord, we wouldn't get much further than that. We thank you for your word, which teaches us who you are, one God and three persons, eternally existing, equally personal, equally God. And because you are three persons, Father, you were able to send Jesus to be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could know forgiveness for our sins and eternal life in your presence. And because you are three persons and one God, Holy Spirit, you come to to live in our hearts and in our lives and make us new creations in Christ and help us to grow more like Jesus. Oh, Lord, some of the best news in the world is the Trinity. Thank you for revealing to us who you are in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.